Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome back to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We did not float away in this torrential rain that we were getting earlier or get struck by lightning, thankfully. But we are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest John Dunn. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee, Washington, or Florida. While you're there, please subscribe. Welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Overtime's Fox Sports Knoxville and 99.5 WKDP All Vol Call-In Show's John Dunn. Whew, that's an awful. John is a native of Washburn, Tennessee, located in Granger County, Tennessee. He graduated from Washburn High School in 2010, just a young guy. He attended Southeast Kentucky Community and Technical College before finishing his bachelor's degree at Walters State Community College. John's love for sports and his beloved volunteers led him to create the All Vol Call-In Show in August of 2017. Nice run. Since the formation of the show, John has furthered his sports journalism career, becoming sports editor for multiple publications throughout East Tennessee and Southeastern Kentucky. Not sure why, we'll ask. He is currently the sports editor for the Mountain Advocate in Bourbonville, Kentucky, nestled just between enemy lines in big blue country. John is a member of the Football Writers Association of America, the United States Basketball Writers Association, the Tennessee Press Association, and the Kentucky Press Association. The only thing he loves more than his Vols is his family, his children Mason, Alexandria, and Lincoln are the greatest accomplishments and most valued treasures of his life. Together with senior writer Dallas Bolin, they are the all-Vol call-in show on 99.5 WKDP and 107.3 WCT. John, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Good. Did I get it all right? Does that sound about who you are and what you're doing? Okay, good. that's That's a mouthful, I know. All right. Well, tell us more about you. Um, You are a Tennessee native. How did Washburn in Granger shape you besides a love of UT? So Washburn, I carry it with me everywhere I go. It's the home is where the heart is, they say. Uh, My heart will forever be in Washburn, Tennessee. That's where I grew up. That's where I graduated high school. Uh, Cultivated many memories, you know, stomping around those rocky fields out there in, in East Tennessee and, you know, just it's it's everything I am, you know. Growing up in a small, unincorporated community, you 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 get a lot of values that you don't get. Uh, it's a lot slower. Life seems to move at a different pace in those types of communities, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm extremely thankful for that I was raised in a, you know, I, I want to say a different time uh, because time just does move slower there. Uh, you know, it's a, it's an agricultural community, unincorporated. All you have is a school, couple ma and pa gas stations, uh, and then that's pretty much it. That's all you've got. You blink and you miss it. I graduated high school with 30 some other kids, really, really small community, really tight knit. I think it taught me a lot about uh, building relationships with people and how important those are throughout your life, whether it be your career, your personal life, what have you. Um, but just the the family aspect of the community, it's it's something that I think this country is more of. Um, you know, it, it was the type of community where you could let your kids out to play after dark. You didn't have to worry about gun violence. You didn't have to worry about abductions. Just It was just the perfect place to grow up. Uh, it's still it's still heaven on earth to me looking to move back there any day now. Um, but it's just it's everything I am as a person. Appalachia is everything I am as a person. Wow. OK, that's uh, consensus. Um, you know, we had another hometown boy, Jason Aldean, who just got his music video pulled down by CMT out of Nashville. 
uh, and the mayor of Colombia, where he was generous enough to film that video, said he hopes that the next artist to come to this town and do something about a small hometown would be a little bit more peaceful. Have you been taking a look at that news? Does that even irk you a little bit? Because it does sound a lot like uh, a song dedicated to the town you're from. So when it comes to representing Appalachia, I, I have a big problem with the way that Appalachians, Tennesseans, you know, people from this region are portrayed. You know, you look in movies, cartoons, what have you, and it's they think we're a bunch of inbred, you know, ignorant, uh, backwoods, you know, what have you, that, that don't know anything about anything, that are unintelligent, just all we know how to do is farm and spit, right? That's not the case. Uh, the, I've been all around this country. I've been, you know, various places throughout the world. I've been through other countries. And I'm here to tell you the best people on the planet that I've ever had any interaction with come from right here in the heart of Appalachia. Whether it's Kentucky, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's North Carolina, no matter where, these people are, it's all family. So anytime you have an opportunity to represent a small town, represent it right. Represent it in the proper light. Represent the good, you know, the, the helping hands that people have, have the neighborly love, the Southern hospitality. Realistically, the biggest problem in small towns, and it's a big problem in big towns too, is drug usage. Um, that has really, that's the number one war going on right now against small towns is, is drug use. Yeah, and you know, one of the richest people in the country is board and braze there the backwoods barbie dolly parton so uh any any misnomer about the smarts and business savvy of an appalachian woman lost on her yeah absolutely she embodies the tennessee spirit i mean you, you look at the imagination library some of the things she's done just the way she gives back to her state and just the people of appalachia is really inspirational you know if i was ever lord help you know i hope uh, ever in a position that Dolly Parton's in someday, I would do the exact same thing. I would I would try to rebuild my communities. I would try to, you know, we just talked about the drug problem. I would try to help eradicate that, try to get back to the fundamental grassroots values of some of these small, small communities. That, that's they're, they're the backbone of the United States, and we got to get back to that. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm happy to have you on to talk about that. So tell us about AVCIS, the All of All Call-In Show and website. Yes, sir. So back in 2017, I was actually working in a medical facility warehouse, had no sports media background whatsoever. Uh, my beloved volunteers were playing against my most arch rival uh, in the Florida Gators. We had just beat them the year prior for the first time in some umpteen years. 2017 looked good. We had them on the ropes. Right? It comes down to the final play. Well, wouldn't you know it, Florida finds a way to win on a Hail Mary. I get plumb upset. I am tore up. So I decided to go to the internet to vent my frustrations. So I go to Facebook. I just pop on live. Next thing I know, there are 5,000 people watching me talk about this game. And everybody's asking me, you know, who do you work for? Where you, you know, what organization, what sports media organization do you work for? And I said, hey, guys, I work in a warehouse. I drive a forklift. <laughs> and they're like, they, there was a consensus opinion that I should probably look into this as a career. Well, I <laughs> sat down about. 30 minutes worth of thought, and I thought, well, let's do it. And I came up with the name All Ball Call-In Show. It just kind of, for me, just kind of all fit together. I sat down the next day and started talking, and 70,000 followers later, here we are. Um, you know, we've uh, built up quite the website. Uh, we've got over 35,000 subscribers now to the website alone, 30-some thousand on Facebook. Uh, we've had various guests, including the legendary Paul Feinbaum, various Tennessee players, uh, it's really cultivated a lot of absolutely wonderful relationships. You know, some of my childhood heroes are Tennessee athletes. Now I can just text them whenever I want to, right? So it's really all come full circle, just my my passion from my youth and childhood. 
uh, led me to just kind of take a leap of faith, you know, something that I, I never really thought I would ever do. You know, it's a dream job for many men. Many sports fans just just wish to do this thing. And the best advice I could do, give is just take the leap. You know, that's why I just started small time with uh, print media and newspapers. And I've since, you know, done that for years. I've become a sports editor for various publications. And, you know, taking that leap of faith really afforded me a lot of opportunity. I actually just took a new job yesterday. Uh, the biggest job I've ever had in my life for a D2 university. So, uh, you know, it's that leap of faith. They can you always close that? Is that, can you break a little news on that? Well, what, what's the yeah, D2 university? By, by, by the time this releases, I'm sure it'll be okay to, to disclose. I am now the uh, sports media relations director for Lincoln Memorial University in oh, uh, Harrogate, Tennessee. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I was elated with when they called me with the offer. I honestly didn't think I would get the position, but I'm elated. It's, it's a D2 university from up in Claiborne County, which is also where I'm from. I kind of half and half with Granger and Claiborne counties there. Um, but it's, it's up there right on the border of Kentucky, uh, just probably two miles South of the uh, 25E tunnel into Kentucky, actually. So very close still to the line right there where I grew up, you know, a stone's throw away. Uh, it's actually very, very well known that the, the, the area is very well known for the Pinnacle Overlook. It's where Tennessee, Kentucky, and Virginia uh, merged together right there. So that university, prestigious, absolutely beautiful campus. I am beside myself with excitement to get started. But back to uh, back to the All Ball College Show stuff, it's really just something that that has since grown into this thing to where anybody who has this dream, this passion, to want to do exactly what I did, I give them their shot. I bring them in. I teach them everything I know. And send them on their way. You know, I bring them in. I'm pretty much a journalism teacher at this point. I'm teaching, I'm bringing them in, teaching them broadcast journalism, uh, just editorial journalism, everything like that, print journalism, and, and, you know, letting them build their portfolios and go on to get better jobs. We put people into sports writing full time at 24 uh, 7, other various, you know, well known sports entities. So at this point, it's become more like a journalism school and it's afforded not only me, but other people uh, opportunities to chase a dream. That's wonderful. Okay, so I do want to ask you about your partner over there, Dallas Bolin, senior staff writer, junior editor. Uh, is he uniquely qualified to cover UT with you? What's what's the relationship and what's his background? So we actually have about five or six guys uh, that work for us, um, as, and Dallas is my right-hand man. Uh, he, and what, what separates him uh, from a lot of other a lot of other folks is his passion. His passion. He's from, listen, this, this boy's from Eastern Kentucky, and he bleeds orange. That is, I mean, that's pretty incredible. You know, being born and raised behind enemy lines and still bleeding orange, that speaks to somebody's passion. Uh, you know, he came in completely unpolished. I mean, just a good old boy from the 6th of Kentucky, just loved talking ball. He's since really become a very well-rounded broadcaster, very well-rounded editor. He's gotten to where he can spot grammatical errors and things like that quicker than I can now. Um, you know, he's really developed, honed his skills. We've got some others, Jake Hubbard. Uh, very much the same kind of way. He came in just absolutely glorious voice. Uh, came in. He's done a great job so far. Does a great job on some of the other podcasts that we that are kind of under our umbrella. There we've got about five of them, uh, and he hosts one of those with one of my other co-hosts from Fox Sports, who also just sounds audibly golden. Um, but all these gentlemen that we have: Trevor Shelby, Zach Strickland, William Allen. Um, you know, all these guys that we brought in. They they have just. It's it's amazing to watch people excel no matter what they do i don't care if it's watching somebody prune flowers i love to see people do well and if i have a hand in that if i can facilitate a pathway to in which these men can follow to chase a dream i am more than happy to just show them the path and get out of the way let them do the work let them 
you know, learn and grow as people. And I love to just observe that. But the guys that we have working for me, guys that have come through in the past and went on to do better things, even those that came through and it didn't necessarily work out and they went on to do something else, I'm thankful for every single one of them, every single one, the good, the bad, the indifferent. I'm thankful for every one of them. It's been an enriching experience. Uh, and, you know, it's everybody's different. Every single one of them is different, but each one of them brings something that's individualized. And, you know, you put that together in a cumulative effort, you get something pretty sweet. Nice. Mostly men. Not that it matters to me, but just curious. So we have had, I believe, I want to say three or four young ladies that work for us, uh, most notably Rachel Ward. Um, she is she was fantastic. And the reason they are no longer with us is because they're bigger and better things. She's actually uh, a media relations liaison for the Southeastern Conference now. So oh. she's moved on to a big, big position. Uh, we've had a few. We had uh, another young lady, Ashley Bremer, that worked for us when we first got started. Uh, she decided to further her career in the military. She was with the National Guard uh, when she started with us, and she decided to go active duty full time. So she's with the military now full time. I mean, we've had various, various members just doing everything under the sun. But no matter what, um, it seems like every time they go on to do something, they 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 leave better than what they showed up in. That's great. All right. Um, and all that out of Knoxville. Yeah. Yes, sir. It's it's yeah. all out of Knoxville, just wherever they're from. We've got, like I said, Dallas up here in southeast Kentucky. Uh, myself currently in southeastern Kentucky, although not for much longer. I get to come back to God's country soon. Uh, and then, you know, we've got guys all over. We've got guys in Elizabethton, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Memphis, all over the state. It really helps us with our coverage area. If there's an event or commit or something going on out west, we can send somebody out there, so on and so forth. It really helps kind of uh, uh, partition a lot of the workload. Okay. So do you personally like the podcast format you do, Done Deal, or the radio show? So with the All Ball Call-In Show, the live call-in show, I really like that. I love interacting with people. As you can tell, I love to talk. Um, so anytime I can just talk and talk, I love that. Usually when people come in uh, on the call-in show, they'll just you know propose a couple of questions and just kind of tee me up to explain at length uh, what I think is going to happen and why. I love that. I also love the podcast format because it gives me an opportunity to kind of prepare and just have a lot of things kind of pre-laid out and just go bit by bit that way. I feel like I hit on more points. I'm a little bit more uh, tunnel vision, a little bit more focused with the, with a podcast format, with a pre-recorded format, but I do like to think on my feet. So if I had to pick one, uh, I definitely, definitely love the live format. Throw me curveballs all day. I love it. Nice. All right. So just over six weeks away from the start of the 2023 college football season, getting excited. And this is, SEC Media Week hosted here in Nashville, so I'm surprised I'm actually not talking to you from Nashville right now. Um, <clears throat> do you think Commissioner Greg Sankey will give uh, Nashville a, a national title game someday soon? Have you heard anything you about know, that? I, I think he would be kind of foolish not to uh, with the current growth and economic structure of Nashville. It's just it's, it's as bustling of a city as anywhere uh, with the added benefit of it being in the greatest state in the country, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you got a lot of things down here. You've got Nashville, which is a bustling metropolitan area, which deals with a lot less of the problems that you see in other metropolitan areas. I, I don't want to highlight any particular city or anything, but some of the gun violence problems, gang issues, drugs, uh, things like that. You don't necessarily hear as much of that out of Nashville as you do other places. Uh, I feel like it's a very, very rapidly growing city, growing very expensive uh, very quickly as well. But I think it would be kind of foolish not to host 
uh, a national, uh, you know, a national title game in Nashville. I think in terms of geography, it doesn't get much better. In terms of venue, it doesn't get much better. You've already got an NFL stadium there with Nissan Stadium. It all just kind of lines up and makes a lot of sense. So I think it would be kind of, I think they would be selling themselves a little short to not host a, a national title game there at some point. I agree. I hope they do. Have you heard anything important out of Media Week? Uh, just a lot of the same old stuff, you know, just everybody getting ready for the season. I've noticed a lot more this year. You you get a lot more questions about football, it seems. A lot less uh, off-the-field stuff, a lot less of this. There's been a little bit, you know, with the stuff going on at Georgia with their uh, players having some issues with traffic things. And then, of course, tomorrow I'm sure Josh Heifel will field some questions about the NCAA sanctions that were uh, levied by the NCAA and things like that. But all in all, it's been pretty run-of-the-mill experience. I think it's been great. Uh, you know, I didn't want anything super crazy for the inaugural uh, uh, inaugural SEC days from SEC media days, excuse me, from Nashville. Uh, and I wish I had applied for my credentials this year. Unfortunately, I had too many work commitments uh, that I couldn't work around an entire week in Nashville. So uh, it's nice to see that there's been nothing crazy going on. Everything has been, you know, ten to everything's been fine, uh, and, and Nashville seems to be represented in a great light. Okay, now you've been at this since 2017. About six years. Uh, was this year the best Tennessee team you've seen? This was the best Tennessee teams I've seen since I started my coverage, for sure. Uh, the funny thing is, in 2017, that was the worst team in Tennessee football history. So the year that I started was the worst year in Tennessee football history. In fact, prior to that season, there were only two teams in the entire Division I NCAA that had never lost more than seven games in the season, Ohio State and Tennessee. Neither of them had ever lost eight games or more. 2017, Tennessee went four and eight, their worst season in history uh, since, I believe, 1892, I think is when they started playing football. So I picked a really, really strange time to start. But in contrast to then, last year was absolutely amazing. The only blemish being the South Carolina debacle. There's always something, it seems. You know, in 20, uh, 2016, you finally beat Georgia, Florida, you're rolling. You've got a clean shot for the college football playoff. Here comes South Carolina and Vanderbilt again. You're looking this past year. You've got a clean shot to the playoff. You get the Alabama hump off your back. You finally did it. You took down the Crimson Tide in Knoxville. What a scene. Cigar smoke and fireworks filled the air, right? Here comes South Carolina. Spencer Rattler, eight touchdowns all season. He throws for six against Tennessee's poorest secondary. So, this last year, for all of its amazing things, was still a letdown, in my opinion. But, yes, it was by far and away, uh, during my time as a reporter, analyst, what have you, uh, by far and away the best season Tennessee's had so far. Awesome. And so you don't just cover football. The the Lady Vols, were they the best uh, basketball you'd seen? Uh, so in my in my coverage time, yeah, I think this past Lady Vols team, they, they've made the deepest run uh, to the Sweet 16. They they were fantastic. I looked, I looked for them to uh, – you know, do do better, even in the future, do even better. I think as Kelly Harper further ingrains herself with Tennessee, you know, having played here and now having coached here for a while, the, the further she works herself in, I think the better it's going to be. I think she's a great addition for Tennessee. I think she's going to bring Lady Balls back, already seeing some signs of that. Um, you know, she's tremendous. She's an absolutely wonderful person as well. Her husband, her children, absolutely wonderful. And these players are really buying into her right now. Uh, the Lady Balls, both basketball and softball, just – amazing and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them grow and flourish even more nice um so in your six I, I focused on your six years to try to you know get a little uh flavor for what you've been through fired tennessee football coach jeremy pruitt reportedly told the ncaa he was motivated to give players money 
following the death of George Floyd. Pruitt allegedly told the NCAA watchdogs that the number of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, was one of the motivating factors in his decision to financially aid the players in questions. What do you make of that guy, uh, his short 10 and 16 in SEC playtime? So Jeremy Pruitt, um, you know, I'll not shy away from this. When he was hired, I was elated. Uh, his resume coming in, having been part of, I believe, it was six national championships, had never had a defense ranked lower than eighth in the country. His resume was absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, he had never been a head coach before. I thought, hey, let's give him a little, little bit of time. You know, just be patient with him. His resume, you know, this could be the guy. It's just going to take a little time. He comes in, starts getting to work the first year. I'm thinking, hey, you know, let's give him, let's give him a little bit of a break, right? The second year you lose to Georgia State to start the season. I was on the field for that game. My heart was ripped out of my chest that day. Uh, that was the day that I knew we were in serious, serious trouble. Uh, Georgia State, and I'm not trying to throw shade, but they shouldn't even be within 60 points of Tennessee ever. I don't care who the coach is. You or I can coach them, and they should never be within 60 points of Georgia State or anybody like that at all. There were various instances of that throughout his tenure. As for his excuse, and that's exactly what it was, uh, his excuse for the – I don't know where he pulled that from. That's that's a doozy, um, reaching out, trying to trying to just latch on. I, I think what he was trying to do was attach himself to a hot-button issue to kind of downplay his own decision-making in, in, in the whole process. I think that was an attempt to deflect from himself and kind of blame – a hot button issue. He thought, hey, if I mention this, if I mention something such as racial tension, that'll divert the conversation off of me and say, hey, well, why why do these players feel this way over this? And was was for lack of a better term, were, were reparations the answer, right? Because that's at the end of the day what he's trying to say. So really that one took me by total surprise. I think that's probably one of the wildest excuses I've ever heard. I mean, that is a dog ate my homework level excuse. Um, I, I really just – I don't know how to make heads or tails of that one, man. Uh, um, I just – I think it's so out of left field that you can't give any sort of serious thought to that at all. Yeah. I think his 10-16 and 16 record says a lot about that. He's kind of a loser, but you're not allowed to say that. I can say that. Um, and one-third of your time on the job, Tennessee must vacate all 11 wins from 2019 to 20 seasons from recruiting violations, an $8 million fine by the NCAA – believed to be the largest levied in an NCAA infraction case and placed on five years of probation, which includes the total reduction of 28 scholarships. The NCAA deemed that 16 players were ineligible when they played in those 2019 and 20 games because of their involvement in what the NCAA said were more than 200 infractions committed during the Pruitt's three seasons at Tennessee from 2018 through 2020. Tennessee's official record book will be changed to reflect that the Vols were 0-5 in 2019 and 0-7 in 2020, and Pruitt's final record at Tennessee will be 5-19. and So, with Tennessee receiving, having to vacate 11 wins due to the NCAA double ruling, they will drop out of the top 10 wins all-time list behind my beloved Southern California at 11th all-time. When it happened to my team, we didn't get that little no future penalty for the folks going forward. Those kids who were in elementary school that had to graduate to SC had to suffer the consequences, not here. What do you make of the whole NCAA's treatment of all of that that I just read? So, you know, talking about USC, I think that was a, I think that was an example. You know, it, it was very, 
the the penalties and things for things like that were very new at that time when they when they hammered down on USC. I think they use that as an example going forward. You know, obviously, if if my child was to break something, I was to scold him. I would look for a different way in the future to, you know, get a different type, elicit a different type of behavior out of him if I wasn't pleased with the, with the type of punishment. So I think that's what the NCAA kind of did in this situation. Um, you know, they obviously, and, and I think had Tennessee been more successful, it would have been hard to dial the dial it back some. USC, unfortunately, found tons of success during their time. Um, but with Jeremy Pruitt and the vacation, the, the getting rid of the wins, vacating the wins, the record books will reflect that, but for the fans and for the people that witness the game, it's really kind of hard to erase that from memory, right? So you look at Jeremy Pruitt and the team that went on the road to Auburn in 2018-19 and beat a ranked Auburn team on the road uh, for, for Jeremy Pruitt's first road SEC win. I think it took him six games. Um, but it's hard. They may vacate that win in the record books, but they can't vacate it from memory, right? So for Tennessee fans, all of that stuff did happen. Every bit of it happened, but I don't think a lot of them mind vacating the entire time he's here. They vacated it from their minds already, just trying to move forward. And I think last year was a really, really, really good palate cleanser uh, for the Tennessee fan base. They really needed something to kind of grasp onto. 1998 was quite a while back, so they really needed something a little bit more recent to grasp onto. Yeah, it's sort of like water under the bridge. Is like when they took Reggie Bush's Heisman Trophy away, you still can't take away those highlight reels. You can take away his trophy, but we still think he did an amazing job. So it's a little bit of a, ah, I don't know, after the fact punishment, like don't ever do that again. But the consequences where it took t USC off the playing field for about 10 years, give or take, you guys don't have to suffer that. And so now for the future, things look a lot better. Tennessee is coming off an 11 and two season in 2022 under Josh Heupel. Did I say that right? Heupel? Yep, you yeah. got it. Yeah. Uh, program's first campaign since 2007 with double-digit wins. The Vols won the Orange Bowl and has significant momentum heading into 2023. Heupel's to told ESPN on Friday it was a huge relief to avoid a bowl ban. Ah, see? The logical thought is, how are you going to punish innocent people and innocent kids? Heupel said, that's exactly what they did to my beloved USC. Um, uh, so, I guess got off easier than that and it's just the way it is baby okay so um how, what, what, what do you think of josh heupel is he the savior uh, so i absolutely adore the man um you know when he was first hired it was another one of those let's wait and see kind of thing uh tennessee had just named danny white the athletic director who came from university of central florida as well i thought it was a little bit of a, a nepotism hire at first uh having brought in a coach from the university you were with before I thought, this is, this is the, the good old boys club. He's brought somebody in. But I also thought, hey, this is a stabilization hire. This guy's going to come in, put out the fire, you know, kind of kind of drag us through, get us, you know, bounce us through till the next guy can come in and take over. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, you know, immediately when he took over, you saw an immediate, immediate change offensively. Yeah, in his first season in 21, Tennessee's offense exploded. They were one of the best offenses in in the entire country. Unfortunately, defensively, we're unable to really do a whole lot. Uh, kind of set them behind the eight ball defensively that season. Look back to last year. Best offense in the country. Bolitnikoff Award winner. Heisman Trophy candidate. You know, uh, excuse me. Heisman candidate uh, in Hendon Hooker. Barring the injury, he would have been in New York. I mean, just the things that he's been able to accomplish in two years are absolutely incredible. Now, here's my reservation. We've seen this before. You look at 2016 for Butch Jones. That's the year, you know, I referenced earlier here in the podcast. Tennessee was poised to make a CFP run. 
you know, here comes Vanderbilt, here comes South Carolina to spoil the show. Last year, kind of the same thing. You've got to you, you can sleepwalk into the college football playoff. You got to beat an ailing South Carolina team and stub your toe. Um, so with Josh Heupel, I still have slight reservations. I don't think they're about him. I think it's just more about the team as a whole. I need to see more out of the defense. But as far as Josh Heupel goes, I think he is 100% the man for the job. I think he's going to have a fantastic career here. I think that he could potentially get Tennessee into the college football playoff as recently as, as this year, even. Uh, unfortunately for Tennessee, they play in the same division and conference as the top dog, no pun intended, uh, in college football right now with Georgia. Uh, Georgia's just a, a head and shoulders above everybody else right now. Yeah. Alabama, you know, you got Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Tennessee right now in the SEC, I think in that order. Or, excuse me, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Tennessee in that order. Uh, so right now, Josh Heifel, if he can do something this season with Georgia being the way they are, Alabama being the way they are, LSU being the way they are, if he can do something this season, you can mark it down that at some point in the future he will have those boys in a national championship game. Okay. Uh, Alex Golish, offensive coordinator, left to be the head coach of USF, and they promoted Joey Halsey. Yeah, Halsey. Okay, to, to OC. Uh, what changes can we expect in play calling on offense then without uh, Alex? Honestly, I wouldn't expect uh, much of a drop-off. I um, Sorry about that. I was getting a little bit of a phone call. I wouldn't expect much of a drop-off uh, offensively. The Where, where the drop-off would be probably in quarterback production, uh, whereas you got two different types of quarterback, one being Hendon Hooker, one being Joe Milton. Joe Milton, obviously a big arm quarterback. Everybody knows about his arm. Hendon Hooker, a lightning quick decision maker. So Josh Heibel, that's the key to the entire thing. If you look around, so where, anywhere Josh Heifel's been as a coordinator, as a head coach, what have you, his offenses have flourished anywhere he's gone. So, Galesh, I think it was a great learning experience for him to kind of take in some of that offensive wisdom from Josh Heifel and take it down to the University of Southern Florida. I think he's going to do great. Wish him nothing but the best, superb human being. Uh, but as in terms of productivity, I expect it to be pretty similar. I expect a slight step back for Tennessee offensively just due to the changeover in quarterback some of the personnel changes at skill positions. But all in all, I expect Tennessee to be one of the more potent offenses in college football, but I also expect them to take a step forward defensively. Okay. So uh, likely lose to Georgia and Alabama this year. Hopefully not, but come on, man, you know, likely. Uh, if they were to trip up against anyone else on the schedule, and I'm looking at it right here, Pittsburgh, Texas Tech, Florida, Missouri, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia, South Alabama, Vanderbilt, who might they lose to? Missouri, that one, that's the only trap game that I have circled right now. Uh, like you, I have Georgia and Alabama defeating Tennessee, Alabama being on the road, Georgia just being Georgia. Uh, that's my preseason prediction is 10 to 2 right now for the regular season. But Missouri is perfectly wedged in there for, for a trap game. Uh, a lot of people are sleeping on them, too. Their defense is going to be much improved. They've got some really good wide receivers out there, including Demarie Hodge. Uh, Cook is a is a really serviceable quarterback out there. I think that they've got something brewing there uh, in Missouri, and that game worries me just with placement right before Georgia, uh, right after Kentucky. So I believe it's right after Kentucky. I may be misspeaking there, but uh, it's, it's uh, that, that's October second, right after Florida. Those are both away games, so away at Florida, away at Missouri, and then back home for South Carolina October 9th. So yeah, that's a tough schedule. Yeah, that's right. It's right in between. So you're going on the road to the swamp where Tennessee hasn't won since 2003. 
Uh, that's going to be a tough game. I do expect them to win in an arrow game down there in the swamp, but then you come back home. You know you got South Carolina coming up the week after Missouri. So, South Carolina, that's the team this year that you have to go out and beat by 95 points. They, they ruined your college football playoff chances last year. They took your quarterback out with an ACL injury. You have to go out and put up 95 points on those guys uh, and just go as hard as you can on them. But Missouri, they worry me. I think defensively they're going to be vastly improved. I think offensively they're going to be serviceable. I think a top 30 offense. So if they can get something brewing there, some consistency, some rhythm, they that could be a, a recipe for a trap game for Tennessee. Okay. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, I mentioned earlier reduction of 28 scholarships. This is now the official era of NIL. What are your opinions of NIL, the portal era, and how UT is managing all that money? It wasn't that long ago that stories of money in McDonald's bags cost teams badly, like we talked about Reggie Bush, Tennessee, uh, parents living in Booster's house, setting the programs back a decade. Now it's legal, pretty much above board. Um, think it's good for the kids and the game? Yeah, so it's I, I definitely think it's better for the kids than it is the game. Uh, but without the kids, you don't have the game. So for these for these kids, a lot of these guys, they've, they've come from humble beginnings. They know that football is their only way out in a lot of these situations. And a lot of guys can't even afford the clothes they're wearing. So these NIL deals, things like that, really afford them the opportunity to capitalize off their God-given talents. You know, the, all the hard work they put in, all the effort they put in to hone their skills and become – you know, a top-level athlete, I think it's good that they're finally able to capitalize on that. And, and for a bit of a selfish reason, I'm kind of glad because they get to bring back the NCAA football games. I'm, I'm, I'm big on those. I'm very excited. But I think the NIL is good for, for college football. I'll go ahead and say it just because it's good for the athlete. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Um, that being said, the portal, I think Tennessee's handled it extremely well. In the beginning, uh, you know, we had a lot of outbound transfers. Tennessee had 40 guys at the transfer portal. Uh, as Jeremy Pruitt was uh, exited out. So we had a mass exodus in the beginning. Now we're starting to see a mass influx, including some in incredible talent uh, in various positions on the field. So I think Tennessee's handled that exceptionally well. I think Josh Heupel's navigating the portal extremely well as well. I think he's going to continue to utilize it moving forward uh, and going out and getting some top-level talent. Hmm. There was a story about a really good Harvard guy that transferred and was on campus just a couple weeks and then back into the portal. Do you know? Do you know what went on there? Yeah, so Chris Ledlam, he was a basketball recruit for Tennessee, uh, three-level scorer, fantastic basketball player, transferred in from Harvard, came in. So Tennessee has a guy by the name of Josiah Jordan-James, uh, kind of a combo guard who can play the three, four, or the five, realistically, depending on what kind of lineup you like to use. Uh, and that would one of those positions would be what Chris Ledlam would play. Well, Josiah Jordan-James is it's his fifth year at Tennessee. He's going to get his playing time, I think. Uh, you know, at first it was kind of unknown if Josiah Jordan-James would be coming back or not when Ledlam came. And then uh, James announced that he was indeed returning. So I think there's something there a little bit in terms of potential playing time uh, and things like that. And then I've also heard that there was uh, he wants to be closer to his family. Uh, he's apparently got some personal things going on, some family stuff going on that, you know, is, is that's personal. I didn't dive into it or anything. But yeah, it's hard to fault a guy for wanting to be closer to family. Yeah, okay. Um, let's see. Let's talk a little basketball. So, uh, what do we have about 15 minutes or less, Steve? Five. Okay. I'll try to jam through this as fast as we can. I'm sure you'll just roll this off the tip of your tongue. So last year, uh, probably a little bit disappointing. Number nine, Florida Atlantic 62, number four, Tennessee 55. What, what was your take on the sweet 16 tournament for the men? And what do you have, uh, in your radar for this year? 
So last year with Tennessee, they were so enigmatic. It was hard to make heads or tails of what team you were getting. You'd see them go on the road and beat, you know, number five ranked Texas at home against number one Alabama. I was there. Yeah, great game. Uh, And then they beat Duke, you know, uh, to move forward into the Sweet 16. Then you meet what I call a team of destiny in FAU. And Tennessee has run into those quite a few times in the past couple of years. You look at FAU, Loyola Chicago, Oregon State, teams that have never made any sort of a splash in the NCAA tournament just happen to catch fire and find a magic bag right before they play Tennessee. I think that's kind of what happened last year. I think there was a little bit of a chemistry issue uh, with some of the guys on the Tennessee roster at the time. Now, this year coming in, I think this may be the most talented roster that Rick Barnes has ever had. I'm a huge, huge Rick Barnes guy. A lot of people aren't. I realize, you know, blah, 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 success in March, whatever. He's a great guy. He's the greatest coach in Tennessee men's basketball history. I will not buckle on that. Uh, I think he's great for the university as an ambassador. He's a wonderful human being. Uh, you know, his faith permeates throughout anywhere he goes. He's not afraid to tell you that he is devout Christian, which I adore. Um, I just love the man. And I think he's, I mean, you don't get to be a Hall of Fame basketball coach by, you know, sitting on your tuchus. So with 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 Barnes, I expect success regardless. With, with him, you get a chance every single year. You're going to have a great regular season. You're going to make the tournament. Give me a chance every single year with somebody like Rick Barnes, then something to where we we don't know if we're going to make the tournament or not. This year, probably his most talented team, and I can see uh, an Elite Eight or Final Four run out of this team depending on if they get hot at the right time. And I believe uh, Jonas Adu and Toby Awaka are coming back. Is that right? So it's kind of a the same roster that Barnes was working with? And any, so any, any new four- surprises? Yeah, so four of your main guys are going to be back uh, from last year, including Zakai Ziegler, uh, star point guard who went down with an ACL injury late in the season. You've got Santiago Santiago Viscovi, who is Tennessee's lethal weapon from beyond the arc. Uh, you've got Jonas Adu, who's going to be starting at the center position, likely 6'11", stretch big, can shoot the ball a little bit, uh, great in rebounding interior defense. Then you've got Tobey Awaka, who is just – he has the strength of seven oxen. Uh, this young man is absolutely unreal. He played in the U19 tournament, uh, the national and international tournament, the under-19, uh, and led Team USA in just about every statistical category from the four spot. Uh, so that's the player that I'm watching more than anyone else this year is Tobey Awaka. Uh, and then, of course, they got an influx of talent. Obviously had JJJ come back from last year. So that's five guys you have from last year's team. Very veteran team. You've got Jemai Meshack coming back from last year's team as well. Great on-ball defender. Then, of course, you've got an influx of young talent, great freshmen coming in, great offensive potency coming in with this class. So it's a really, good, a really, really good blend of talent for Tennessee as well as depth. Rick Barnes could go five for five if he wanted to with his team. So that being said, I think the sky's the limit for these guys this year. I think it's going to have a great blend of youth and experience. And honestly, it could, it could make a wonderful recipe for success for these guys. And Ziegler was a portal guy, uh, so that's cool. And the ladies, too. Uh, both Rakia Jackson and Tamari Key are returning for fifth years. Jordan Horston did not. Uh, she declared for the WNBA draft and was picked number nine by the Seattle Storm. Steve, you can watch that. Um, Jasmine Powell is returning for her fifth year, providing uh, some great veterans, really. Good things going on in the, for the ladies. Yeah, absolutely. Now, no pun intended here, but I think Tamari Key is the key. Uh, she was hampered by injuries quite a bit. Uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I could be, but I think it was lung, uh, blood clots in the lung. 
much like Trey Smith had, Tennessee offensive lineman here at Tennessee, uh, you know, some odd years back now with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but Tamari Key, you know, she I think she is instrumental in Tennessee success, not only this year, but for years moving forward. I think she's the type of player that you could really, uh, you know, build be the face of a program for years to come. Something like Candace Parker used to be for Tennessee and kind of still is. You know, you, you see Candace Parker, you think University of Tennessee right away. Um, you know, even given her WNBA career, you still think University of Tennessee. So I think Tamari Key could be that next great lady ball. She's a wonderful ambassador for the university, fantastic athlete. Barring, you know, any sort of health scares or anything, I think she is poised for an absolutely electric season. And I think she'll go relatively high in the WNBA draft next year. And I lost track, so I'm going to ask you because you're the eyes on pro. Uh, Kiomi McMiller was um, the first high schooler to sign with Jordan Brand. She took a visit to, to Tennessee in February, uh, a five-star point guard, number one, number seven player in the class. Did she come to Tennessee? You know. So, honestly, I, I think the recruitment is still ongoing. I could be wrong. Uh, it's, it's that point in the season right now to where basketball recruiting is kind of taking a backseat to football. Uh, you know, today, for instance, Tennessee's in, in the hunt for a five-star wide receiver commit this evening. I mean, that's he's the number three wide receiver in the country, number 13 player overall. That would be a huge grab and would put Tennessee in the top five, I believe, or top seven uh, for recruiting classes. I mean, just what they're able to do. So recruiting right now for basketball is kind of taking a back seat. Uh, but I will say this. Tennessee women's basketball is an easy sell. Uh, you've got a history of excellence there, eight national championships under Pat Summit. The Women's Basketball Hall of Fame resides in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, you know, it's an easy sell. So when you're going out and you're targeting some of these high-profile athletes, you got to go with what you got to go with your bread and butter, right? You got to go with what works for you. Play to your strengths. This is the University of Tennessee. This is the house that Pat built. Come play, come be great. I expect great things from Lady Balls. That's good. And so, last thing, Tasha Butts was named the head coach for Georgetown Women's Basketball. Uh, she played for the legendary Pat Summit at Tennessee from 2000 2004, uh, when the team posted a 124 and 17 record. Good news is. She's not coaching in the SEC, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, what is your biggest excitement for the new uh, season coming forward, basketball, football, anything? Anything you want to, us to make sure to pay attention to? So this season, uh, we actually haven't hit it on them much. I'm actually going to look a little bit forward to spring. Uh, keep an eye on Tennessee men's baseball. Keep an eye on the baseball team. Tony Vitello has had those guys in Omaha, the College World Series, uh, two out of the last three years would have been three out of the last four, barring the COVID season. He'll he'll tell you himself that the 2020 COVID team was probably his best team ever. Uh, very likely a national championship caliber team, something the likes of what we saw this year out of LSU. Uh, absolutely loaded with MLB talent on that team. So, what I'm telling everybody to watch out for, and I have not been excited about the game of baseball since I was seven or eight years old. Tony Vitello and Tennessee have reinvigorated the passion for baseball in me, like the likes of which has never been seen. You know, I am a huge baseball nerd all of a sudden, uh, but I cannot wait for this baseball team to get going. I'm very, very excited about football. Do I think they win a national championship this year? No. Very excited about basketball. Do I think they win a national championship this year? They could, but no. Same thing with football. They could as well. They're both national championship caliber. Tennessee baseball, on the other hand, do I think they win a national championship this year? It's very, very likely. Uh, all three of those programs that I just mentioned, I think it's amazing uh, you know, to look back to 2017, just when I started my career versus now, uh, the state of the program then versus now is is absolutely you're you're looking at Death Valley versus Everest, yeah, uh, in 2017 versus now, it's absolutely crazy. And 
the fact that I'm sitting here saying that football, men's basketball, and baseball all could be in contention for a national championship is mind-blowing. Yeah, I sure hope one of these days USC and Tennessee have to face off on something big, so that would be very exciting. John, thank you for taking your time to come on here, braving the lightning and the thunder. We are at the end, so tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and follow your social media and, and watch your shows. Yes, sir. First of all, thank you very much for having me. It's been a delight. Uh, I love the podcast. You guys do an awesome job. Thank Absolutely you. love it. You're very welcome. So uh, you guys can find the All Ball Call-In Show. You can just go to allballcallinshow.com. All one word just smashed together there. No hyphens or anything. Again, allballcallinshow.com. All the articles, podcast links, everything you need are there. Uh, you can search us up on Facebook, All Ball Call-In Show. Super easy to find. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J-X-H-N-D-U-N-N. All smashed together as, as one word there. Super easy to find as well. You can listen to me on Fox Sports by downloading the Fan Run Radio app. You can listen anywhere in the country. We're completely free. We go live every Monday through Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. Again, that's Fox Sports Knoxville Fan Run Radio app. And, of course, you can listen to me on T107, 107.3 WCTT, Corbin, Kentucky, and 99.5 WKDP, KD Country, and Corbin, Kentucky. And, yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. That's that's about it. Done deal podcast, all those podcasts. You guys can find that on the website. But I'm an easy I'm an easy one to find if you look me up. Easy one to find, but a busy, 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 busy guy. So um, I look forward to having you back again as seasons heat up, and you're going to be my go-to Eastern Tennessee sports guy. So thanks for coming on, and, and have a great day. Yes, sir. Thank you all for having me. I look forward to joining you all in the future. Choosing the right mortgage for your home financing depends on so many factors. Working with a mortgage lender that offers a broad selection of mortgage programs is key. At One Trust Home Loans, they have helped many homeowners reach their home financing goals because they listen to anticipate your home financing goals and dreams. They aren't salesy, so for those 55 and older, you can trust them to help people not just survive, but thrive with extra cash flow. At One Trust, service is everything. To speak with a mortgage specialist about your home financing goals, call Matt Helton, Nolensville Branch Manager at 615-400-6764. Be sure to tell him Steve and Steve from MCView sent you. Calcon Mutual Mortgage, LLC, DBA, One Trust Home Loans is an equal housing lender, NMLS 46375. All products are not available in all states. All options are not available on all programs. All programs are subject to borrow and property qualifications. Rates, terms, and conditions are subject to change without notice. For more information on reverse mortgages, visit onetrusthomeloans.com slash reverse dash mortgage disclosures. I don't understand. Welcome to the Steve C segment of our show where we cover what we just heard. Producer Steve, what did you think of our guest? All of all, call-in shows, John Dunn. John Dunn, what a great guy. And um, what I liked about his story is uh, we talked about this in between uh, the show here. Um, he caught the tiger by the tail, as you said. He, he, caught, he just got on Facebook. He did a live rant. And the next thing you know, there were so many people that were on Facebook. They just piled on and said, hey... Um, and the next thing you know, he, he started a podcast and it just exploded. And now here he is, 
um, five, six years later, and he's just got a new offer. He's going to go to work for uh, a university, as well as keeping this gig going because he's got other people working for him. Um, Steve, I, I, I love those kind of stories, and not all of us get that kind of a story, but he did. And and uh, I'm really hoping that your story of starting uh, Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast will be the same way, that as you expand and grow, um, you'll just continually catch fire and just blaze a trail across Tennessee and make a huge difference in people's yeah. lives. Well, thank you. I hope we do too. Seems to be growing pretty well. We are now being covered in Memphis on the west side and now Knoxville on the east side with him. And we had already a relationship with uh, Brandon on the uh, eastern mid, I guess we would call that. I don't know, in Chattanooga. And so we got folks at 99.7 Super Talk paying attention to us at uh, uh, with Matt Murphy up there in uh, Nashville. So we've got the state covered as best we can. Now we just have to make sure that we could eat consistently good content, yep. good guests. Yep. That will drive it. That's why our number one show so far coming up on 3,000 views on Rumble is Dr. Tenpenny because no one else will listen to her. We took the time to talk to her and it's very important stuff. So, but oh my gosh, the world just gets crazier and crazier and the money just gets larger and larger and spent on worse and worse things. Let's start Steve and Steve here. Here's how much the Pentagon has spent so far to treat transgender troops. The Pentagon has spent $15 million in the past five years to treat 1,892 transgender troops, including $11.5 million for psychotherapy and $3.1 million for surgeries, according to Defense Department data provided to military.com. Of the 243, not 2,430, not 2,243,000, 243 gender reassignment surgeries performed on military personnel since 2016, 50 took place between January 1st, 2016 and December 31st, 2017, and 193 occurred from January 1st, 2018 to December 31st, 2019, the two years after President Donald Trump announced via Twitter that he would bar transgender individuals from serving in the U.S. military. According to the Defense Health Agency, the surgeries were performed in military health facilities and included removal of breasts and testicles, hysterectomies, and labiaplasty. Oh my gosh. Creation of or reshaping the flesh around a certain part called vagina. As of May, 1,892 military personnel have been diagnosed and treated for gender dysphoria, including 726 Army soldiers, 576 Navy soldiers, 449 Air Force airmen, and 141 Marines. According to DHA spokesman Peter Graves, the Palm Center, a public policy think tank that focuses on LGBT issues, estimated in 2018 that 14,707 transgender troops served in the U.S. Armed Forces, including nearly 9,000 on active duty and 5,727 in the reserves. According to DOD, the department spent $11,582,262.99 on psychotherapy for service members with gender dysphoria from Jan 1, 2016 through May 14, 2021. Within DOD, 637 service members received hormone therapy during the same time frame at a cost of $340,000, and 243 surgeries were performed at a cost of $3.1 million. The Pentagon's annual medical budget for healthcare programs in 2016 was $33.5 billion, the proposed right. fiscal 2022 budget calls for a $35.6 billion in discretionary spending for health care, according to military.com. Yeah. 
Well, at least one heartbeat away from commander in chief. We are in good hands. Let's listen to clip number one because she loves us and ne never would wish us ill. Think about the impact on something like public health. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Did you catch that? Yeah, investing in electric vehicles in clean air. And she just said reducing population. Oh, That's a goal of the climate change movement. They aren't hiding it anymore. Where, where, where did, <laughs> let me play that part. More oh, of go. our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. I, I didn't hear that, Steve. I, I did reducing population. Play it again. Okay, uh, I got it, folks. I, that went right by me, and I'm looking right at it. Think about the impact on something like public health. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, right there. More oh, she slipped it right in. The they snake. are hiding it. You are the carbon they want to eliminate. Let's play clip number two. We'll get a little focused in on this. AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's, first of all, it's two letters. It means artificial intelligence. But ultimately what it is, is it's about machine learning. And so the machine is taught. And part of the issue here is what information is going into the machine that will then determine, and, and we can predict then, if we think about what, machine, what information is going in, what then will be produced in terms of decisions and opinions um, that may be made through that process? You mean when they put something into her, then we know <laughs> what we can determine what comes out of her? Do you feel smarter now? Yes. Now that she said that? Okay, so reduce population and that machine learning is machine learning because alternative invest, I don't even know. Let's listen to clip number three, part one and part two this issue that should be articulated is AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's, first of all, it's two letters. It means artificial intelligence. But ultimately what it is, is it's about machine learning. And so the machine is taught. And part of the issue here is what information is going into the machine that will then determine, and, and we can predict then, if we think about what machine, what information is going in, what then will be produced in terms of decisions and opinions um, that may be made through that. Okay, now clip two. Now, at least she's studied, right? She knows what she's talking yep. about. Let's hear somebody else who spent some time doing some homework and knows what he's talking about. Name of the book that I read was Treasure Island. It's about these pirates. Pirates with patches over their eyes and shiny gold teeth, and green birds on their shoulders. Did I mention this book was written by a guy named Robert Louis Stevenson and published by the good people at McGraw-Hill? So, in conclusion, on the Simpson scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, and 5 being average, I give this book a 9. <clears throat> Any questions? That sounds like something my kid tried one time. <laughs> It, to me, it was nearly impossible to tell the difference between Camilla Harris speaking about AI and Bart Simpson's book report on Treasure Island. So, all right. I tried to make a little audio joke there. I, I hope it wasn't lost on everybody. All right. I like Next. It. Oh, okay. Next item. I aim to please. 
Democrat, yes, a Democrat had to do it. Representative Summer Lee has questioned the Department of Defense over the military's high allocation of funds towards seemingly frivolous expenses, especially Viagra. This comes as in recent years, there has been an ongoing debate about the exorbitant military budget of the United States. During a hearing in Pittsburgh on Wednesday, Rep. Lee directed a pointed question at John Tenaglia, a principal director at the Department of Defense. She asked about the average annual expenditure on Viagra within the military. Rep. Lee, <clears throat> how much does the military spend on Viagra each year? Director of Defense contracts? I don't have that figured out. Rep. Lee, about $41.6 million. Do you know how many bridges in my district of Pittsburgh could be repaired with that amount? Tenaglia answered that he did not possess the information to which Lee quickly responded, revealing the figure to be approximately $41.6 million. Lee drew a sharp contrast between the expenditure and the urgent infrastructure needs in her district, pointing out that the recent collapse of the Fern Hollow Bridge in Pittsburgh could be rebuilt with a fraction of the funds spent on Viagra, which amounted to $25.3 million. According to U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, a 2015 study in the Journal of Sexual Medicine found that male veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, were significantly more likely than their civilian counterparts to report erectile dysfunction or other sexual problems. In one case, male combat veterans with PTSD reported having erectile dysfunction nearly four times as much as those who have not been diagnosed with a mental health issue. According to the Military Times, Less than 10% of the prescriptions were really for active service members. However, since the start of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, erectile dysfunction among individuals now serving in the U.S. military has been, shall we say, rising. <laughs> well, I happen to know an awful lot of former veterans who go to the VA for all their medical needs, and I can tell you what, they're all above 60, and that's where all that Viagra goes. God bless them. Yes. Clip number five. And at the time, I urged this body and I urged people around the world that the weaponization of nature against humanity had dire consequences. Tragically, I sit here today um, with that unfortunate line that I don't like to say, which I told you so. But the fact of the matter is we're here not for a reprisal on past decisions. We're here to actually, once again, come to the face of the human condition and ask the question, who do we want to be? What do we want humanity to look like? And rather than seeing this as an exercise in futility, which is very easy from time to time when you're in the position I'm in, I actually see this not as an exercise in futility. I see this as one of the greatest opportunities that faces us because we now have a public conversation, which is now front and center in people's minds. When this was an esoteric conversation about biological patents, nobody cared. But when that conversation came home, then it became something people can care about. So I'm actually quite grateful for this opportunity. I thank the members of parliament for hosting this. I thank all of the translators who I apologize in advance. I will use terminology that is probably very difficult to translate, so my apologies. And I'd also like to acknowledge the fact that many of you are aware of my involvement with this, in large part due to the amazing work of my wonderful wife, Kim Martin, who encouraged me at the very early days of this pandemic to get on front of the camera 
and talk about all the information that I had been sharing among very small groups around the world. And it was, in fact, her encouragement that put me in a place where many of you have heard what I have to say. Ironically, the world that I came from that used to be very popular, my CNBC and Bloomberg presentations, which were televised on mainstream media around the world, was an audience that I lost. I, I can confidently say COVID diminished my fame. That is from the recent International COVID Summit hosted by the European Parliament. So far, 766 million COVID-19 infections have been recorded worldwide with over 7 million deaths, excluding vaccine deaths. This is the biggest crime against humanity perpetrated by the U.S. government, he says. The evidence suggests that COVID-19 was intentionally released by the U.S. government in Wuhan, China, with the goal to trigger a global pandemic to raise public acceptance of a U.S. pharma vaccine. Every nation should condemn the bioterrorist, pipeline terrorist government of the United States, he says. COVID-19 was an act of biological warfare perpetrated on the human race. It was a financial heist. Nature was hijacked. Science was hijacked, he said. That's a 30-minute long clip, so too long for here. But y'all should look up Dr. David and Kim Martin speech to Euro Parliament. Very brave. You know, I want to break in real um, there was two individuals who got mentioned in our interview with John, and uh, both of them had clots in blood clots in the lungs that took them off, that sidelined them. I gotta wonder what caused blood clots in the lungs of a highly athletic individual in their early twenties. Mm. Mm. In the year two thousand twenty-three. Yep. Post-COVID, first time ever in that demographic, I would have to say, crack. Anyway, yes. speaking of Europe, Italians grope themselves in protest of judges' shock ruling that it's not assault if under 10 seconds. Outraged Italians are groping themselves in unsettling videos in protest of a judge's ruling that unwanted touching that lasts less than 10 seconds isn't a crime. The controversial ruling resulted in the acquittal of a man who admitted to fondling a schoolgirl, but argued he'd only been joking. Men and women alike in Italy have taken to Instagram and TikTok to post the clips in which they stare stone-faced at the camera while groping their breasts and chest alongside a timer counting down from 10 seconds. In others, they continuously caress themselves for 9 seconds only to stop just before the timer runs out and mockingly tell their groper to stop before it becomes assault or laugh that they didn't realize it was only a joke. The girl at the center of the case is also outraged by the case's conclusion. Quote, the judges ruled that he was joking. Well, it was no joke to me, she told the newspaper Coriel Della Sera, according to the BBC. She went on to say the caretaker came up from behind without saying anything. He put his hands down my trousers and inside my underwear. She said he groped my bottom. Then he pulled me up hurting my private parts. For me, this is not a joke. This is not how an old man should joke with a teenager. That handful of seconds was more than enough for the caretaker to make me feel his hands on me. Not funny. Oh, you know what would happen if someone did that to my wife? Uh, yeah. My daughter. And this from foxnews.com. Still good for an occasional piece of news you can't find anywhere else like cnn.com or usatoday.com. Gun group tells residents to consider moving from blue state after lawmaker proposes gun control ban. New firearm control bill is a real bad news for Massachusetts gun owners, say gun group. 
Firearm owners should avoid travel to Massachusetts and consider moving if they already live there, according to a gun rights organization concerned about a gun control bill making its way through the state legislature. Quote, <clears throat> if Massachusetts makes House Docket 4420 law, Massachusetts will become the most anti-gun state in the country, Austin Hayne, the director of political operations for the National Association for Guns Rights, told Fox News. What Massachusetts is clearly trying to do here is basically repeal the Second Amendment as we know it, he added. The 140-page omnibus bill, an act of modernizing firearm laws, makes sweeping changes to Massachusetts gun laws. This includes mandating that all firearms and feeding devices be registered, banning people under 21 from buying or carrying a semi-automatic shotgun or rifle, banning concealed carry of firearms on private property unless expressly permitted, and much more. The National Association for Guns Rights issued a travel advisory for anyone who lived in Massachusetts or is traveling to Massachusetts because of the bill last week. Quote, laws like this will only leave vulnerable people more vulnerable, Hines said. HD 4420 is the most anti-gun bill I've ever seen in my career as a gun rights lobbyist, and it needs to be defeated, Austin Hine, the director of political operations for the National Association for Guns Rights, said. So if Michigan isn't bad enough for you, how about Massachusetts? It's so bad there. I usually don't bother mentioning it because how bad can it get after all it's already done that to its citizens and taxpayers? Well, that was Massachusetts. Here's more Massachusetts. Massachusetts governor calls on residents to house illegal aliens in their guest rooms by Cassandra McDonald, the Gateway Pundit, July 18th, yesterday. The so-called host family strategy is being put in place to combat the growing homeless population in the state, many of whom are not citizens. WBUR reports the state's new family welcome center in Alston is tasked with recruiting, vetting, and onboarding host families as well as pairing them with the families in need. This has previously been a practice among resettlement agencies and other volunteers who work to support new arrivals, Governor Mara Healy's press secretary, Carissa Han, said in a statement about the strategy. The center opened in late June, and it remains unclear how many migrants have already been placed in people's homes. The report explains that the state has also not explained the vetting process for hosts or the illegal aliens that they are being asked to house. What could possibly go wrong? Tomorrow, I'm going to go over and remind us of some celebrity TV doctors that like to go on air and do more good for their pockets and more harm for their viewers. But for now, stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof, look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. Hey, everybody. This is uh, Joseph Padilla. I'm the uh, school board representative for Zone 4 for Wilson County, Tennessee. And I'm out here on the uh, Mill Creek View podcast. Welcome to my quotes for the day, but before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. It's easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. Mark Twain. 
If the bee disappeared off the surface of the globe, then man would only have four years of life left. Albert Einstein. Or was it? Did he really say that? He was a physicist and not an entomologist or botanist or any other form of biologist. The best answer probably lies in examining the context in which the earliest citations of this quote that have been found so far appeared. A January 1994 political protest staged by European beekeepers over the issues of competition from lower-priced honey imports, artificially high prices for sugar used as winter feed for bees, and a proposed reduction of tariffs that would make imported honey products even cheaper. A key part of that protest was beekeepers issuing dire predictions that as beekeepers go, so go the bees. And as bees go, so go the food crops and other plants on which we depend. The beekeepers claimed that if they were forced out of business, the honeybee would be eradicated in Europe since wild hives were already being decimated by a parasitic mite called variole. So far, Scotland had escaped the devastating pest, but the threat elsewhere remained. Within a few years, all the wild colonies will die out, warned John Potter from Norwich. The honeybee is threatened with a rapid decline. If the bees become extinct, the protesters said the impact would go well beyond the livelihoods of the EU's 16,000 full-time beekeepers and the some 430,000 part-timers. Crops such as apples, pears, beans, and oilseeds need bees for pollination. British beekeepers estimated that 85% of Europe's wildflowers are pollinated by bees, and the death of the flowers could have a major impact on wildlife. It's going to be a chain reaction, said Mr. Potter. All in all, this looks like a classic case of a useful quote being invented and put into the mouth of a famous person for political purposes. Anyway, I hope you found that fun and interesting. I like honey, but here's the real quotes related to Tennessee sports. There is always someone better than you. Whatever it is that you do for a living, chances are you will run into a situation in which you are not as talented as the person next to you. That's when being a competitor can make a difference in your fortunes. On work ethic, she said, Here's how I'm going to beat you. I'm going to outwork you. That's it. That's all there is to it. On life, it is what it is, but it will be what you make it. On quitting, quit, quit. We need, we keep score in life because it matters. It counts. Too many people opt out and never discover their own abilities because they fear failure. They don't understand commitment. When you learn to keep fighting in the face of potential failure, it gives you a larger skill set to do what you want to do. Pat Summit said all that, is perhaps best known for winning more games than any other NCAA Division I basketball coach, male or female. Head coach of the University of Tennessee Lady Vols basketball team from 1974 to 2012. She spent 38 years as the head coach of the University of Tennessee women's basketball team, the Lady Volunteers winning eight national titles and 1,098 games, 0.831%. Tennessee also made 31 consecutive NCAA tournaments appearances under Coach Summit. She died June 28, 2016, two weeks after her 64th birthday from Alzheimer's. The Pat Summit Alzheimer's Clinic was opened at the University of Tennessee Medical Center with funds from her foundation. In 2017, the NCAA established the Pat Summit Award to recognize individuals who positively influence college athletes. That's it for this episode. Really hoped you liked it. Thank you, John Dunn, for keeping Volunteers fans hope alive in the offseason. That's why I wore this shirt. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. Let's go out on a little volunteer music note. Peace in our time.
Rocky Top. See you tomorrow. or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.